As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. Now, Steve Moore. Welcome, folks. This is More Money. You're listening to Steve Moore on 77 Talk Radio WABC. Thanks so much for joining us on this kind of official last weekend of the summer before we get to Labor Day. So I hope you've had a great, great summer, and I hope the close of the summer is wonderful for you. Uh, It is a, a beautiful, sunny day here in Washington, D.C. and along much of the East Coast. Uh, So uh, certainly get out in the sunshine, get out in the fresh air and enjoy the last few days of summer. Um, This is an amazing period we live in. There's really good news. And obviously, we're so saddened by the bad news of what's happened in the last couple of weeks. But I want to start with the good news. And by the way, this show, as you all know, is about the intersection of politics policy, finances, Wall Street, and your money, and my money, and more money. That's why we call the show More Money. And I want to do a quick shout out to my great, great friend, John Katsimides, who is the owner and operator of this radio station, 77 Talk Radio WBC. And I've said it many times on the show, but I believe this is the best, top, most influential radio station you're listening to in the United States of America. So congratulations to uh, being a listener to this great, great radio station. We have amazing callers. We have amazing listeners and we have an amazing reach. We reach all the way up to Maine and we've had callers on this show all the way down to Georgia. So it's uh, it's amazing how many listeners we have. And I appreciate you taking some time out of your Saturday afternoon to listen to more money. We're on, by the way, every Saturday at 2 p.m. So good news. Let's start with that. This stock market is a rocket ship. I have never seen anything like it before in my life. Uh, We have uh, seen uh, uh, this week record highs again in the S&P 500, record highs in the NASDAQ, and of course, record highs in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. If you're an investor, you're doing amazing. If you're not an investor, by the way, why aren't you? You know, this is a great country to invest in. Now, look, I'm a little bit nervous about this market. I think it's a little frothy right now. I I would not necessarily, if you're a short-term investor, 
I don't think this is a great time to be getting in the market because the prices are so high right now. But if you're a long-term investor, investing in the United States is the best thing you can possibly do. American companies are beating the pants off of our foreign rivals. It's just an amazing thing to see. Congratulations to the people who run these great businesses in America. It's just a phenomenal, phenomenal achievement. How great an achievement is this? Well, consider this, folks, that 40 years ago, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was at 1,000 or thereabouts. It was meandering around 1,000 for about a year in the period 1980 and 81. Here we are in the year 2021, so that's at 40 years, and the Dow Jones Industrial Average is, is at 30, something like 35,500. So think about that. Uh, that. Even adjusted for inflation, that is a 10 times increase in the valuation of stocks in 40 years. Uh, this is the greatest period of wealth creation in the history of civilization. And as I've talked about in recent weeks on this show, I do believe Ronald Reagan and his the Reagan revolution, Reaganomics and supply side economics, lowering taxes, lowering regulations, getting government under control, putting America first. Reagan started that, but then Trump continued with it. Those policies have created a fertile ground for American entrepreneurs to build their businesses, make profits, pay higher salaries. I'm so sick and tired of people saying, oh, you know, gee, the middle class has made no gains in the last 30 or 40 years. That's that's complete nonsense. That's horse manure. The, the average worker in the United States has seen big, big gains in their incomes and huge gains in their wealth. If you've got a 401k plan, if you're an investor in the stock market on a you know day-to-day -day trader, if you've got a pension plan, where do you think that money is invested in? It's invested in Google. It's invested in FedEx. It's invested in Walgreens and Walmart and uh, you know General Electric and all the great great companies, uh, and not just the big ones. You know the small companies in America have done an incredible job of weathering this storm and coming back. So it's a great great country. It's a great great stock market and. Um, I do believe that it is at risk. Now I'm going to turn a little bit, swerve towards the bad news. I think a lot of the policies that are coming out of Washington, if they are enacted, will bring this bull market to an end. Now, I know a lot of my friends on Wall Street are betting that this is not going to happen, that we're not going to see $4.5 trillion of debt bills, that we're not going to have, I call this bill the Govzilla bill because it's so gigantic, it is going to take America over a cliff if we allow it to happen. A lot of my friends on Wall Street are saying it's not going to happen. We're not going to have the massive tax increases. We're not going to have the borrowing and the printing of money that Joe Biden wants to see. I'm not so sure about that. I'm not so sure about it. I do think we have a great chance of defeating this bill. I think we as Americans, if you care about our country, I have said it so many times. I don't care if you're a Republican. I don't care if you're a Democrat or an independent or uh, what your political philosophy is. As long as you're not a Marxist or a socialist, you know that we cannot continue to spend and borrow and our tax our way to prosperity. Show me. Somebody show me somewhere in the world where that philosophy has worked. It didn't work for Argentina. It didn't work for Venezuela. It didn't work for Cuba. It didn't work for Mexico. It didn't work for Zimbabwe. It didn't work for Russia. It does not work. It leads to poverty. It is false gold to believe that we can continue to spend and spend and give people free money. That's the other thing. The Biden plan is basically free stuff, free college tuition, 
uh, uh, student loan forgiveness. Uh, we're going to give you a free kindergarten, free child care, free food, free rent, free everything. Come on, folks. There is no such thing. The first lesson of economics is there is no such thing as a free lunch. Somebody has to pay for it. When they say you're going to get it for free, what they're really saying is we're going to take it from someone else and give it to you. Now, you know, there's an old saying, if you rob Peter to pay Paul, you know, uh, Paul's going to be pretty happy about that, but Peter's not going to be too happy about that. And, you know, the problem is we're moving towards a situation where more and more and more and more millions of Americans who are dependent on not on businesses, not on their individual initiative, not on their own paycheck, but on government, Uncle Sam. And as George Washington taught us, government is a fierce master. The government can only give you something if it takes away something from someone else. And uh, I think Reagan said it best back in 1980 when he was running for president, when he said a government that's big enough to give you everything you want is big enough to take everything you've got. So remember that, folks. So I do think there are danger signals here. All I'm going to say about Afghanistan, we all realize this has been an incredible tragedy, a travesty, a failure of leadership. Uh, I pray at night, I think we all do, that we can get out, get the thousands of Americans who have been left behind. We all pray that those Americans uh, and the people who helped American troops and the American operation over there are able to get out and get safe. Uh, I'm, I'm worried about executions happening, and I'm, I'm worried about more deaths, I, and I, I, I'm so hopeful that we get those uh, people evacuated from uh, from what's happening uh, in Kabul right now. Now, let's talk about what we can do about this. What can you and me and your next door neighbor and your friends and your family do to stop this co coming explosion of, of government? And I do believe we have the power. It's, it's called power to the people. John Lennon thought, uh, sang about this, power to the people. That if we voice our opposition, uh, and let the members of Congress know that we are totally opposed to $4.5 trillion of debt this year. By the way, that's $20 trillion of new debt over the next decade. We are not going to destroy this country for our future, uh, for our children and our grandchildren. I am the, I'm the father of five kids, uh, three sons and two stepsons. And uh, I care most about the future we leave to those those kids they're not you know they're out of the nest now for the most part although i have a 13 and 14 year old the other older three are out and working um but i worry about the future that will they have jobs will they see massive declines in income will they see in our lifetime china take over as the global economic leader because we're making such bad decisions in washington right now so I'm going to suggest a couple of things, and I want to, uh, by the way, I want you to be activists. That's the point of this show. I want your voice to be heard, because if we all, you know, what's the old saying? All that is required for evil to prevail is for men of goodwill to do nothing. We can't sit on our chairs and just, you know, uh, rub our temples and say, oh, my gosh, this is such a terrible thing that's happening. We can stop the storm if we act together. So I think four or five major reforms would turn things around. Number one, we need term limits on the members of Congress. We need six years in the House, 12 years in the Senate, and then you're out of here. We don't need permanent career politicians in Washington. They're the people who have ruined things. They're the people who have created this $30 trillion of national debt. 
We need rotation and offer office. We need a citizen legislature. So number one, term limits. Get rid of the permanent uh, class of politicians. And by the way, if you do that, you'll have people making much more sensible decisions. People are businessmen and nurses and, and people work for a living and know how to run things and know the grind of daily uh, life that most politicians never feel. Number two, we need a constitutional cap on spending at 20% of our GDP. Right now, our, our spending is way, way above that. We need to pull back the spending to be so that we have a lean government that provides the vital services, the national defense, the roads, the bridges, police, law enforcement, the courts, but all of these other social programs and so on, those should not be part of the federal responsibility. And so I'm not saying we shouldn't have a safety net, but we should not be providing people with 50, 60, 70, $80,000 of benefits a year. And a lot of them are getting that. Number three, no millionaire business or millionaire individual should ever receive a payment from the government. We have to get rid of the corporate welfare in Washington. A lot of people who are very, very rich are going to get very, very much richer if we spend this four and a half trillion dollars. It's going to go right into the pipeline of the corporate welfare people, the lobbyists. And that is something we do not need in this country. Next reform. We get rid of the U.S. Department of Education and put that money into the hands of the parents who make the decisions about what schools they can go to. Right now, over half of parents have no choices. They have to put their kids in terrible schools. That is a travesty. We know that charter schools work. We knew, know that school vouchers work. We know that parents who make the sacrifice to send their kids to Catholic schools or Jewish schools or Montessori schools or other schools, they are getting a better education than kids stuck in the government schools. And so let's give minorities, low-income parents, an opportunity to provide their kids with the best classroom scenario they can. As I mentioned, I have five kids. All of them are different. It's absolutely absurd to warehouse kids in classrooms where they don't uh, teach the greatness of America, frankly. You know critical race theory has trickled in, not trickled in, has poured in to our schools. And what country teaches its kids about how terrible its, its own nation is? That doesn't happen anywhere else except the United States. And by the way, if America is such a racist country, why is it that every immigrant, whether they're black or brown or red or yellow or whatever skin color they have, why is it that everybody wants to come to the United States of America? They know because this is the land of opportunity. This is a place where we do not judge people by the color of their skin. We judge people in this great country by the content of their character. Sometimes we fall short of that goal. There is racism in this country, but it's not systemic. And for people of all skin color, there are incredible, abundant opportunities in this great nation. And then we have to next promote American energy, a pro-America energy policy. So we drill for our own energy. We produce our coal. We produce nuclear power. Yes, wind and solar can be part of the equation. They're not going to be a major part. We can't run a $22 trillion industrial economy that produces steel and cars and infrastructure and, and, uh, and technology and, and all of these things. You're not going to be able to do that, obviously, with wind and solar power. You can use it uh, as part of the equation, but we need oil. We need gas. We need coal. We need uh, hydropower. We need everything we got. 
and let's produce it here at home. Why do we want to import the stuff from the rest of the world? Why don't we get it here at home? Ladies and gentlemen, we have more oil, more gas, more coal, more copper, more uh, precious minerals than any other country in the world. This great nation, the United States of America, is endowed with natural resources like no other place in the world. We can get those resources. We can use the uh, the money that we that we get from drilling these things and mining them. We can use the royalties to reduce our national debt. Doesn't that sound like a good idea? Reduce our national debt by billions and billions of dollars, create jobs here in America. That's a pro-America energy policy we started under uh, tr uh, Trump. Uh, unfortunately, Biden has canceled that policy. And finally, we need to come together as a nation and stop this division. Stop dividing people by their skin color, by their religion, by whatever, their political persuasion. It is time for all Americans to come together right now, especially in this time of crisis and what's going on in Afghanistan, and putting our divisions behind us and all putting America first in the interests of this great country. Don't forget, folks, you won the lottery of life. If you are a citizen of this country, if you were born here, you were uh, a, a naturalized citizen through the immigration process, you have won the lottery of life. Everybody in the world wants to come here. We have a great country. Let's celebrate America. Let us not tear it down and let us defend our servicemen who are our heroes all over the world. You've been listening to 77 Talk Radio WBC. I'm Stephen Moore. This is More Money. I'll be right back with our two fabulous guests. You're listening to More Money. I'm Steve Moore. This is 77 Talk Radio WABC. I so appreciate you taking some time out of your Saturday afternoon to listen to the greatest talk radio station in the country. Uh, and so, uh, by the way, I want to remind people, if you want to be informed about what's going on with the economy, what's going on with politics, what's going on with COVID, please uh, go to the Committee to Unleash Prosperity website. That's the Committee to Unleash Prosperity and sign up for our hotline. It's called the Prosperity Hotline. It is free. It costs you nothing. And we will email it to you each morning right to your computer screen. And so you can be the smartest person in the room. You can read this thing, by the way, in five minutes. And it's not a it's not a lengthy thing, but it gives you all the all of the information you need to know to be up to speed on what's going on with the economy, the stock market, politics. And, and uh, it's a, as I said, it's a five minute read and it is free. Just go to the Committee to Unleash Prosperity uh, website and sign up for it. Give us your email and we will provide it to you every single day. So I am so pleased to welcome to More Money two of uh, the outstanding economic minds in this country right now and two good friends as well. One is Alfredo Ortiz, uh, who is the president and CEO of Job Creators Network. And by the way, if you're running a small business, you need to be part of the Job Creators Network. It is the most important voice in Washington and in the states advocating for free market economics, free enterprise and the interests of small businesses. So, Alfredo, thanks for joining us. And then we also have E.J. Antoni. And E.J. is the president. Uh, a lead economist at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, which is a great think tank. He also is a senior fellow at the organization I run, Committee to Unleash Prosperity, and is uh, very much up to speed on what's going on with the jobs market and what's happening from state to state. So uh, thank you, gentlemen. Uh, Alfredo, let's get right down to it. 
Give me a brief synopsis of how small businesses are doing so far this year. Uh, looked like they were doing great through about you know June, and now we have this new Delta variant, and so uh, more things seem to be shut down. What is the mood, and what is the uh, what is the current financial status of our small businesses? Yeah, well, thank you again, Steve, for having me. And, uh, you know, at the beginning of the year, absolutely right. Things were looking fairly good. Uh, You know, the mask mandates were being lifted. You know, obviously a vaccine-induced recovery, thanks to uh, President Trump and and, and Vice President Pence with, you know, Operation Warp Speed, everything that was happening there. So things were looking pretty good. But, you know, I have to tell you, with, you know, the, the, the Biden inflation tax that has hit uh, all of Americans and small businesses, quite frankly, in particular, with the raising of commodity costs, um, yep. things are looking a little bit uh, more iffy uh, right. for our small businesses. And they're being uh, less optimistic for the back half and, quite frankly, looking at hiring a lot less uh, because they're looking at some of the uh, attacks that they're getting from the Biden administration, where we're calling the war on small business. Um, but in particular, like I said, the inflation tax that's hitting them, but, you know, rising energy costs overall, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've got the, the, the specter of, you know, more regulations, the, the yeah. higher uh, minimum wages, et cetera. So, so the mood is starting to change now for our small businesses. And in particular, from a hiring perspective, they're feeling less and less optimistic, uh, you know, from a hiring. And, and as you know, Steve, it's so, so important because two thirds of new job growth, at least in pre-COVID right. days, Two-thirds of new job growth was coming in the hands of small business because they felt optimistic about their future. And they're not seeing as much optimism now, or at least we're not seeing as much. So, you know, Alfredo, about two or three weeks ago, we got the consumer confidence numbers, uh, and they, they were poor. They, there was a big yeah. decline in consumer confidence. And I wonder if, um, if you're seeing anything like that in terms of the small businesses. And by the way, small define what a small business is for our Listeners, how do you define a small business? Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we go along with the definition from the Small Business Administration, which is 500 yeah. employees or less. You yeah. know, I have to say, if you're a business in the 500 range of employees, it's actually a fairly you're pretty large big. <laughs> yeah. business, right? It's fairly large. Our sweet spot is somewhere between literally a you know a self proprietor, you know, so an end of one up to yeah. about 50 or 60 employees. That's kind of the sweet spot that we okay. look for. Because so when you're talking about least representation, right. so when you're when you're talking about small business, you're talking about those employees with maybe ten to hundred employees somewhere in that. Yeah, that, that's the, yeah. that's our real sweet spot. I mean, the technical okay. definition we still use, yeah. which is five hundred okay. or less, but, so, but there's a so, few of those. So how they so uh, are they? You're, you say they're losing a little bit of confidence because of uh, COVID, because of some of the new regulations, inflation. What el- what else is uh, on their mind? Well, the, those are the big ones. You know, commodity right. cost overall is big. You know, r- rising cost, period, is really yeah. on their minds because, as you know, they can't just pass on penny for penny the increase in their cost. Um, there is that point where, you know, for example, if you're a restaurant, you can't be charging $15, $20 for a hamburger, right? I mean, there is that point, yeah. the <laughs> right. point where people are going to basically say, screw this. I'm not going out to the restaurant anymore. I'm just going to buy something from the grocery store, even though it's costing me 30% more for, for yeah. a, a hamburger patty, at least it's yeah. not as expensive as the restaurant. Right. And so, and you can see the consumer confidence numbers are starting to be impacted as well because of that. So uh, I wish you could go to the white house and, and give some advice to Joe Biden, as you did many times to Donald Trump, uh, because he was saying a few weeks ago, 
remember he whispered, he said, small businesses, pay your workers more. But, you know, these, these, you know, these businesses are operating on pretty small margins. They can't just keep raising their wages like that or they'll go out of business, won't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, you know, we, we talk a lot about, you know, restaurants in particular, because frankly, they're the ones that were hit the most from, you know, from a COVID perspective yeah. and all the regulations and the masking and the vaccinations, as you hear, you know, in New York City, for example, de Blasio has people, you know, uh, small restaurant owners checking vaccination cards at the door. I mean, my God, um, you know, and but 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 overall, when you look at the profit, for example, that a small restaurant makes. On every dollar, it's about yeah. two to three cents, Steve. Two to yeah. three cents out of every dollar is the actual wow. profit that these guys That's take amazing. home. You know, That's and so amazing. they don't have these dollars, <laughs> right. you know, that, that buy it and say, well, just pay them more. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah. that's an easy solution. There, there's so, no more money to be had. Yeah. EJ, EJ, EJ uh, let me turn to you. You've been really looking very closely at these, uh, at these uh, state unemployment numbers. I think they came out a, a number a few days ago. Uh, what are those telling us about where the jobs are and where they're not? Steve, it's great to be with you in the audience today. Basically, what the numbers are telling us is that the Republican policies have worked and the Democrat policies have failed. If we look at unemployment, the the eight worst states are all deep blue states. And, then and by the way, EJ, EJ, on top of it. Well, yes. EJ, let me just intervene something. I think three of those states uh, in, in the in uh, the hateful eight <laughs> are, if I correct me if I'm wrong, Connecticut, New York, and New Jersey, which is our the heart of our market for this show, right? Connecticut, right. New Jersey, Absolutely. and New York. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then if we look on the other hand at the 10 lowest unemployment rates, those are all states with Republican governors. In fact, those 10 states are all at or at least near full employment. So the recovery is complete there. And those states are just looking at future growth, hopefully. So the deep red states where Republicans essentially have total control over the legislature and the governorship, they're averaging just 4.2 percent unemployment, which is terrific. But I think I was looking at. Yeah. mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Go ahead. The the deep blue states, on the other hand, where the Democrats have total control, that's 6.4 percent unemployment on average, which is terrible. Right. So you have a 2.2 percentage point difference. So that's That's more than 40 percent worse in the blue states. Yeah. And so um, I was looking at those numbers. I thought, is it Nebraska that has the lowest unemployment rate today uh, at like 2.8 percent or something like that? Yeah, Nebraska is very low. Uh, South Dakota is very low. Again, it is it is literally all Republican states. It's just a solid block. And I would add, I would add one other thing in looking at that data, because uh, you've sent that over to me. It looks like these states with low taxes, <laughs> not just Republican states, but states with low taxes, like Texas, where you are, like Tennessee, uh, like Florida, like Utah, like Nebraska are doing so much better than, my, you know, as you know, I'm from Illinois. That's a disaster area. California, uh, they may recall their governor. Things are so bad there. Uh, and and the and the northeastern states are hurting. So taxes seem to be a real factor in where these jobs are being created. Absolutely. And it's not just taxes, but then it's also regulatory policies as well. Yep. It's also been the response yep. to COVID. And and actually just to show that this is ultimately about policy and not politics, it just so happens obviously that you know Republicans tend to have the same policies. But if you just look at within groups, 
So if we just look at the deep yeah. red states, right, Texas actually stayed locked down a lot longer than other deep red states, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, Texas has lagged behind in the jobs recovery, yeah. but now is, is finally starting to make good progress. Because well, that's because you're in Texas and, and we need <laughs> we need you to continue to give those <laughs> governors uh, great advice. OK, folks, uh, I uh, was speaking with E.J. Antoni, who's with the Texas Public Policy Foundation and, of course, Alfredo Ortiz, who's the president of Job Creators Networks. Uh, folks, I'm going to keep these guys over one segment because I want to ask them about the unemployment benefits and how they're affecting the job market. Stay right with us. You're listening to More Money on 77 Talk Radio, WABC. Welcome back, folks. This is Steve Moore. You're listening to More Money on 77 Talk Radio, WABC. Uh, we are with you every Saturday afternoon at 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. So thank you so much for joining some of your weekend uh, with me to talk about money and politics and policy and uh, the nation's finances. We have two fabulous guests uh, on the show this afternoon. Uh, Alfredo Ortiz, who is the president of Job Creators Network. And as again, if you're a small businessman or woman, you should definitely be part of this coalition. It's a great group. Alfredo has done an amazing job. I'm so fortunate to partner with them on a lot of the great uh, policy th- things we did under Trump and, and now trying to stop a lot of the anti-business stuff that Biden is doing. And then E.J. Antoni is with the Texas Public Policy Foundation. He's an economist. He also works with me at the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. And folks, do not forget Please sign up for our free prosperity hotline. It's emailed out five mornings a week. You can get it for free. It costs you nothing. Just go to the Committee to Unleash Prosperity website and uh, click on the button. Give us your email, and we will send that to you five mornings a week right to your computer screen. Okay, uh, gentlemen, welcome back. Thanks for holding over. Um, Alfredo, we've had a huge debate in this country over the last year or so about unemployment benefits. And you and I have been probably two of the staunchest critics of this policy of paying these extra $300 a week uh, month unemployment benefits per person, by the way, that's $600 a month per uh, for, a, for a couple with two unemployed parents. And I'm seeing it in the data, and I'm sure you are too, that these unemployment benefits are keeping people out of the workforce. And a lot of the businesses that I talk to they say they're still here. We are in late August. They're still having a problem getting workers back on the job. Yeah, see, that's absolutely right. Yeah, you and I have been at this pretty much since it was floated as an idea. Um, we warned folks that it was going to be an issue, especially with our small businesses. It certainly became a major issue. Um, you know, we have a true labor shortage now in this country. Um, and a lot of that is because of the extension of the unemployment benefits. And remember, it was even a little bit more before. Now it's come down to the 300, you know, by uh, hopefully, and I think it's end of September, they will fully go away. But we're starting to see the uptick uh, in, in, in the job numbers with the unemployment numbers dropping right, and more right. people entering back in the force because there isn't much of an incentive, uh, you know, to basically just sit on your butt, uh, which is basically what that was doing, uh, instead mm-hmm. of working in all of our small business. I'm talking all across the country. That is the one common thing I've been hearing from people. I'm like, mm-hmm. hey, would you happen to have an employee or two because we are in desperate need? I can't tell you how many cases now I've heard of people calling me and saying, you know, we, we've had it closed Monday and Tuesday because we just yeah, don't yeah, have yeah, enough yeah. staff, right? There, a lot of these restaurants are only opening out Thursday, Fridays, and Saturdays because right, of all right. the staff that they can do. Um, you and know, and yeah. this is real. 
Yeah, we went out. Uh, my wife and I went out for dinner last night, and there was a, a big sign on the Mexican restaurant that we love to go to, uh, and it said uh, just that. You know, we're going to be not, not open seven nights a, a week any longer, and it said we will hire anybody, <laughs> anybody. We'll hire you if you can come in and wait on tables or work in the kitchen. We need you, and it is a constant, constant uh, problem. And, uh, and it's a shame because these businesses are really suffering and the big businesses right. can afford to pay them more money, but the, the, the smaller ones cannot. Now, EJ, you've done some research on this yourself, on the impact, this, uh, EJ Antoni of the uh, Texas Public Policy Foundation, on the impact of these unemployment benefits on uh, the ability to get people back to work. And what, what are you finding? Steve, we're finding exactly what Alfredo and you just described, that States that continue paying these supplemental unemployment benefits are failing to allow their labor market to recover full, fully. And I'm reminded right. of what Milton Friedman used to say, that if the government were put in charge of the Sahara Desert in five years, there would be a shortage of sand, right? right. Well, sure right. enough, we have, we have 10.1 million unfilled jobs, according to the, yeah. the most recent report. So the government, in not five years, but only about one and a half, they, they've created so warped and poison of a labor market that there are millions of unfilled jobs and millions of yeah. job openings. So we basically have a shortage and a surplus at the same time. Now, what really worries me, uh, gentlemen, uh, and Alfredo, I'd love for you to ch chime in on this. Um, I'm hearing from the Biden administration that they want to allow about $300 billion of that money that was spent on the blue state bailout back in March. They want the states to give that, allow the states to extend the unemployment benefits beyond Labor Day. The whole deal was, you know, that these, these benefits will expire on Labor Day. But now I'm hearing is many states may continue with these policies. And incidentally, it also is a, is a big problem with respect to the eviction moratoriums where people aren't paying their rent. I, don't, I just don't know how small businesses can deal with these issues. I have a good friend, Alfredo, who, who is not rich. He is, owns apartment buildings. And he says 80% of his people are not paying rent right now because the government's saying, you know, you don't have to pay your rent. Yeah, it, it, it's absolutely ridiculous. I, I don't even understand. It just shows how out of touch Steve Biden and the administration is with reality. I mean, there is absolutely zero reason at this point, zero reason to extend these unemployment benefits. Yeah. I mean, I can't think of one reason why. When you've got what, what was just described, you know, this, this surplus, I mean, 10.6 million unfilled jobs. Right. Yet you still have a labor yep. shortage. I mean, it's, it's just the most ridiculous thing. And it is. It's just it's been created by this this interference by government into the labor markets. And it, it's just absolutely unnecessary. And I have to tell you, it's just it's a constant influx. When you talk about the attack on small businesses, we talk about it as well. I mean, this is all about destroying, honestly, in my perspective and in my opinion, it's about destroying middle America and, 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 and the small business market because they're the one group that the government can't control, Steve. They can't corral yeah. them. They can't you know, uh, uh, regulate them enough, right? So they just want to put them out of business so that they become wards of state and that uh, they can have even further control. I mean, look at the, even the, the, the proposed cuts now that are being put out there on small business, for example, getting rid of the 20% tax deduction, which was one of the key things, Steve, that you and I fought for in the Tax and Jobs Act. Oh, you mean, so, you mean, so the, you mean the 20, hold on, Alfredo, I just want to make sure our listeners 
uh, know what you're referring to, which is that you and I worked together uh, with Senator Johnson and others to get a small business deduction in the income tax rates so that, that small businesses, not just the big corporations, would get a tax cut. That's right. Uh, and, and I was in favor of both, you know, our corporations and our small business getting cut. Now, is it is it true that Biden wants to then go back and raise those taxes again on those small businesses? Yes. And the estimate now and our other friend, uh, uh, Grover Norquist from American Tax Reform, has, has yeah. also uh, chimed in with an estimate. It's almost two million small businesses that are going to be impacted. And quite frankly, it's the oh largest of the of the small businesses, right? The biggest employers uh, that are still considered small businesses, because you have about a million uh, of those employers that are basically labeled the C corps or or, or do yes, business right. under C corps, and they're going to get an in, increase in their tax rate when it goes from twenty one to twenty eight percent. So they're going to be hit uh, from that perspective. And then you also remember that they're also proposing raising that marginal tax rate up to almost 40 percent. So that's going to hit about, you know, a, uh, they said about 3 percent of our small business. Well, that's still about 900,000 small businesses. So, wow. so we're talking almost 2 million of our largest small business, largest job creators that are going to be hit. And remember that Biden said that there would be no increases on taxes on our small businesses in this country. So it's yeah. another lie that the Biden administration put forth. As far as I'm concerned, Steve, for the Biden administration, it's promises made and promises broken. <laughs> now, uh, I want to add something to what you were just saying, Alfredo, which is uh, I'm also very, very concerned about the uh, the assault on family-owned businesses through the massive increase in death taxes. Uh, so we just did a study at the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. It's just being released on Monday, but I'll give you a sneak preview. We find that this will have an extreme negative effect on family-owned businesses, family-owned farms, family-owned ranches. Uh, Alfredo, we believe, and, and you know, this is an old kind of cliche, but it will be true that you will literally have millions of people who will have to sell the farm to pay the taxes at, at death yeah. because they want to increase the capital gains tax on these things. And I, I just I find that to be so un-American. You know, my my dad was a small business owner. He spent when I was growing up, Alfredo, I didn't see my dad a lot. You know why? Because he was working. You know, he was working 60, right. 70 hours a week with five kids and, and you know, and a, a wife and a dog. You know, it was he, he was gone a lot. He was traveling. He was building this business. He put his sweat equity into it. And I'm sorry. And then he dies and he has to pay 40 percent. And it, should, it doesn't go to the kids and grandkids. It goes to the government. I mean, that is un-American. Yeah, it, it, it absolutely is. You know, getting rid of what I guess was called the, the, the stepped-up uh, basis, you know, that, yeah. that provision. Uh, you know, we're calling it a success tax, right, because that's pretty much what it is. I mean, they're taxing success. Um, yeah, and remember, uh, none other than Governor Christy Nome. This happened to her. That's one of the reasons why she ran, why she got into politics, because they almost literally lost the farm because of that. Uh, it's terrible. So, uh, EJ, um, I am. I want to go back to a minute on this issue of all of these these benefits, and, and it's not just the unemployment benefits. I mean, you worked on the research on this. Uh, just last week, Obama said he's going to increase food stamps by twenty five percent. They're they're doing the uh, rental free rent. They're giving people three hundred dollars a month per child. So you got three kids. That's another nine hundred dollars a week. You're talking about benefits. 
for people, for families that can be, these are government benefits paid for by taxpayers that can be in some cases 75, 80, $100,000 a year without anyone working a single hour. Right, Steve. I mean, it's, it's essentially a tax on work and it's pushing more and more people onto welfare and into that cycle of dependency where even when the pandemic is completely behind us, those people are still going to be stuck in government dependency. Mm-hmm. And you have people who have been out of the labor market for more than a year and a half now. They haven't paid their mortgage or their rent or their student loans or whatever the case may be. We've expanded health care subsidies in addition to, to the great list that you just mentioned. So it, it really is, again, to echo something that Alfredo said, it, it really does seem like an attack on the American dream on the American mm-hmm. ideal and on success in this country. So well, you're, yeah, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll tell you one thing, you know, uh, my wife, Anne, you've met Anne, I think both of you have, and she uh, went to UCLA and she took out student loans because her family didn't have money to pay for her college. And when she was in her twenties and thirties, she had to put aside about, you know, 15, 20% of her paycheck to pay back that student loan, Alfredo. Okay. And she did yep. that diligently, like, you know, a, a responsible person does, and she paid off her loan. And you know what she said to me the other day? She, what a sucker I was. How stupid was I to pay this student loan? Because now the government's going to let the people who didn't pay their loans you know, they're going to let them off the hook. I have a problem with that, Alfredo. I think it's unfair to the people who did act responsibly, did pay back their loans. And now the, the, the people who, who don't pay their, their bills, the government's going to come to the rescue. I mean, explain that one to me. Yeah, absolutely ridiculous. I've heard this complaint from parents all over the country at this point, Steve. I mean, saying I worked my buns off to right. pay for right. college, to raise, you know, to raise enough, for, you know, make enough for my family not only to live, but to cover their expenses for college, to put them in so they could have a better mm-hmm. life, right? I did the right thing, and now basically this is happening where the government's just going to pay off basically everything. I mean, this is ridiculous. I mean, I really call this kind of the, the, the diapers to dentures approach, right? I mean, this right. is literally what they're trying to do. I mean, we talk about literally dependency, literally from the day you're born to the day you die. You know, I, I wonder whether I, I wrote in my column a week or two ago whether this is intentional. I mean, do Democrats want to make people dependent on government? I don't like to get at people's motives, but you look at what they're doing, free health care, free child care, free kindergarten, for no, don't have to pay your student loans. All of these things, the government's going to give free everything. And it's, by the way, it's terrible for America. It's even terrible for the people that we're giving the help to because EJ, if you continue, to, for example, the statistics show the longer you're unemployed, the worse it is for you in terms of your future jobs prospects. We have people now for 18 months who have not worked, and we're still paying them all this money not to get back in the workforce. I don't even think we're doing a favor for those people who are getting those benefits. That's a great point, Steve. And on top of that, the longer some of these people stay out of the labor force, the more incentive there is for their employers to replace them with automation, with machines, whatever the case may be. So that's one of the reasons why we are so happy that Governor Abbott here in Texas and many other great Republican governors have taken whatever measures they could to end this cycle of dependency. They've done things like ending the $300 unemployment bonuses. So not only does that get people back to work, but now the unemployment rates in many of these states have fallen so low 
that those states can end the extended pandemic unemployment benefits as well. So we're continuing to see this positive cycle of ending these extra benefits that cause dependency. It creates jobs, and then that lowers unemployment even further. So, Alfredo, we're running out of time here, but I wanted to get to two quick issues, if you'd give me a fairly quick response. Two things we haven't talked about yet uh, that Biden wants to do. One is raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour, which I think is going to be terrible, especially for young workers. And the other, that people aren't paying enough attention to, requiring um, workers uh, in in the non-union states, the right-to-work states, uh, the, the Biden bill would basically re, re, uh, force people to join unions and right-to-work states against their will. That's going to be a killer for small businesses, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. On both fronts, Steve, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, I guess that's part, you know, part of the PRO Act that, that they keep uh, trying to push right. through. Uh, you know, we're, we're calling it more like the Con Act because uh, there's definitely <laughs> right. into our approach like to it. Right. Uh, right. But, but, but disastrous. And then, of course, a $15 minimum wage. I mean, just absolutely not required. I mean, first of all, we say if there is going to be anything like that. Let the states decide uh, because, you know, uh, what, what's good for, uh, uh, you know, uh, West Virginia is not going to be what's right for California and New York. I mean, right. it's just, right. you know, you got to let the states decide. And quite frankly, it really depends from, uh, you know, industry to industry. And, you know, how, it's amazing that you have folks like Amazon getting into the picture where they're trying to promote $15 minimum wages. But interestingly enough, they're already above $15 minimum wage, yeah, right? So, right. Uh, so it doesn't you know, affect I, them. I, right. It doesn't affect them. It just affects all the small businesses that are actually their competitors. Well, this is why the theme um, that you and I have been working on is Biden's war on small businesses. Because if you look at it, you look at all of these policies we've been talking about um, on this show for the last 20 minutes or so. All of them have one thing in common. They benefit the big businesses, the big guys, the Walmarts and the, and the you know, the big companies like, you know, uh, Google and, and uh, Facebook. But the small guys get really hit harder. And, and I think it's unfair. My first job, by the way, $2.10 an hour working in a warehouse. But, you know, you learn a lot in those smart starter jobs. I, I worry we're going to get rid of the starter jobs. Is, and that's a big problem, isn't it? Yeah, it's, a, it, it, it's a huge, huge issue. And these starter jobs were never intended to be, you know, the, what, what Biden right. and others are calling living wages, you know, support families of foreign. So these are entry level positions, right, that deserve entry level wages, because in many cases, Steve, as you know, they're training jobs, right? Yeah. They, teach yep. us how to, they, they teach us discipline. They teach us how to get to work on time. They teach us how That's to, right. you know, uh, <laughs> how to do things, right? How to live right. life. I mean, it, these are entry level jobs. And, and look, Steve, some people for some reason or another, got, got caught up. Uh, something might have happened to them in their lives, and they need support. They need help. But let's give them resources then. Let's give them Amen. the training, for example. Let's give them the skills yeah. that they need to have better paying right. jobs. Because I don't understand, Steve, this one. Why, why are we so busy, uh, especially from the left perspective, of course, so busy trying to raise floors when we should be raising ceilings? I think Amen. let's work together. Let's give them the skills that they need, and let's okay. get them to pay fifty dollars an hour. My goodness, yeah. why? You know why there, I stop at fifty? There you go. If you don't have the if need. you don't have the first job, you can't get the last. Okay, folks. That's right. That is uh, that is um, EJ Antoni with Texas Public Policy Foundation, and my good friend uh, Alfredo Ortiz with Job Creators Network. We'll be right back. You're listening to Seventy Seven Talk Radio WABC. Welcome back, folks. This is Steve Moore. You're listening to More Money on 77 Talk Radio WABC. I want to get back to what we were just talking about 
in terms of what we're doing to small businesses in this country, because the men and women who run small businesses are the heartbeat of America. They're the people who take risks. There's an old saying that the, that, that the owner of the company is the last person who gets a, a, a payment, not the first one. You have to pay all your expenses. You have to pay all your wages, your salaries, your health care benefits. You've got to pay for the electricity. You've got to pay for the building. you got to pay the rent. And after paying all those expenses, if there's anything left, which is called profit, then the business owner gets something. I've run a business. Sometimes there's nothing left. And the small businessman and woman gets paid nothing because there's no profits. And so profit is not a dirty word. I get so tired of young people saying, oh, these dirty profits. Profits are what you, are what make uh, businesses operate. Profits are the reason we have the Empire State Building. Profits are the reason that we have the incredible enterprise in New York. Profits are the reason that America has become the greatest, richest, wealthiest nation on earth. Profits are the reason you have your home. Profits are the reason you have your bicycle. Profits are the reason you have your car. If it were, if there were no profits, we wouldn't have the goods and services that make this country great. And so um, we have to stop attacking our small businesses. We have to stop treating our small businesses like they're piggy banks that to be raided by government. Now, look, some people get really rich uh, in America starting a small business. You know, Steve Jobs, you know it, Steve Jobs started Apple in a garage, for goodness sakes. And now it is, the, I believe, I believe the single uh, most valuable company in the world. It might be number two, but I believe it is number one right now. And it's, it has made millionaires out of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. It is now, I believe, uh, close to a $2, billion, $2, trillion, <laughs> $2 trillion company. That's the American way. You start a business, you grow it, you have a dream, you pursue that dream, and then the government steps in with all of these interventions. And I want to go back to this uh, idea of taxing people at death. I, I, I always go back to my dad just because I know his story. I know it personally. He worked his ASS off. He worked his ass off his whole life. And every single minute was putting a sweat equity into that business. And we were pretty well off, but we were not rich when we were growing up. We were not totally rich, but he kept working and building it and building it and building it. And he, my, my dad died, I think it was about three years ago. I had the ripe of old age of 91. And, you know, if you, he wants to pass that business on to the children. He had five kids. He has eight grandkids. What's wrong with that? And by the way, I'm not saying this from personal, you know, for personal greed reasons. I, 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 you know, got some money out of that business, but I'm talking about this is what America is about. You build a business because you want to do well for your family. People don't build the business so the government can take it over. By the way, if the government is going to take it over, a farm or a ranch or a business, then why would people continue when they get older? Why would they continue to put money in the business if the government's going to take it from you? I think the death tax is the most unfair, un-American tax. And this idea they're going to tax you on the 40% uh, 40% on the gain, uh, take somebody who, who uh, bought a farm, let's say, in 1980 for, let's say, $300,000. And now the farm, let's see, because they put so much resources into it, built the farm, built the crops, you know, built the irrigation system, the fertilizer, all of the stuff that goes into an operation of having a farm. So now let's say rather than be worth $300,000, maybe it's worth $5 million. 
wait a minute, now the government's going to come in and take 40% away from you? I, I, I really, I, I, it makes me so angry, I can't even talk rationally about it. No, this is wrong. This is wrong. Somebody like my dad paid taxes, income taxes, pro- property taxes, payroll taxes, sales taxes, gas taxes, this tax, that, license taxes, all sorts of, I mean, all he did his whole life was pay taxes. And now he dies and boom, he's going to get hit again with another round of taxation. I, I, I find that to be really despicable. Uh, I want to say one other thing. I believe you, if you saw what happened this week in the House of Representatives, uh, there were every single Democrat in the House, every single one of them, every single Democrat from New York, every single Democrat from New Jersey, Connecticut, Maine, Rhode Island, uh, all of these states in the Northeast, all every single Democrat voted for a four and a half trillion dollar massive debt bill for this country. And that is wrong. W-R-O-N-G. It is wrong for our country. We are going to bankrupt our nation if we allow this to happen. And I'm going to give you a sneak preview of some statistics that I'm going to be talking about next week when the study is completely done. But we're doing an analysis at the Committee to Unleash Prosperity right now about what this means for the nation's finances. And I hope you're sitting down I hope you're calm because these numbers are extraordinarily depressing. If the Biden $4.5 trillion debt bomb increases, every single child born in the United States today will, over their lifetime, have to pay about $600,000 of taxes just to pay for the debt that we're incurring through this, you know, not just from Biden, but all the previous times, but we're doubling our national debt in the in this in about 12 years, we'll be doubling our national debt. And then over the next 10 years, it doubles again. So here's where this gets us. By the year 2050, which is not so far off, the United States uh, government debt will be 300 percent of our GDP. There is no way in the world, if we stay on that course, that the United States will remain the world economic superpower. We're going to see declining in wages. We're going to see declining in living standards. We're going to see increases in interest rates. We're going to see increases in inflation. Government spending out of control, government debt, and government printing of money is what leads to the collapse of great empires. This is so clear from history. Why This is why we teach history, right? This is why we're supposed to teach our kids European history and economic history and the history of civilizations. So we know what mistakes that were made in the past. And almost every great empire, you go back to the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, uh, Germany, other countries, even England, what happened is they turned towards socialism. They grew their government so much, they grew their debts that their countries collapsed. And I pray that's not going to happen in the United States because I love this country. You cut me and I read, I bleed red, white, and blue. And I know for the many, many, most of you listening to the show, that is the case too. Yes, we have faults in this country, but we are the number one nation in the world. And I do believe God put us here, as Reagan said, as a, as a, it was divine providence that put this great nation here as a beacon of freedom for the rest of the world. If we go the wrong way, so will the rest of the world. So folks, keep your chin up, fight for freedom, fight for free enterprise, fight for liberty. They are all under assault. Fight for fiscal sanity. 
say no to the massive $4.5 trillion bill. The only way the government can give hand out $4.5 trillion is to take it away from our kids and grandkids, and no great nation does that, okay? I think we can stop this bill, and we can save America. That's why I do this show. That's why I love talking to you every Saturday afternoon. I'll be back next week. This is more money. You're listening to 77 Talk Radio WABC. God bless, and prayers go out to all our servicemen who have died in Afghanistan, keeping our country free and safe. I love my Italian heritage and the food that goes along with it. That's why on Sundays after church, I head over with my father to Italo's Fine Foods on Forest Avenue in Staten Island with our list from mom. They have two locations on Forest Avenue, 1566 and the new one at 725. It's family owned and serving Italian specialties since 2014. They also have a full catering menu, the freshest meats, imported San Martano tomatoes from Italy, and the best mozzarella. Order in store by phone or online. They even deliver. ItaloFineFoods.com, I-T-A-L-O, FineFoods.com. Tell them Vinnie Madunio and WABC sent you. Manja.